Welcome to Surviving Academia, a podcast about surviving in the pre-apocalyptic hellscape of the academy. In each episode, we share self-care techniques and talk about surviving in academic careers. We hope you enjoy this episode. If you like what you hear and want to support our show, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Got something to say? Let us know on Twitter, at SurvivingPhD, or on Facebook. Hey guys, welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh no. Hey guys, welcome to the show. I am Rachel. And I haven't had coffee yet. I am Kristen, and I'm doing okay. I'm Zach, and I have had coffee, and I'm doing okay also. Here's my coffee mug. Okay, well, that's a really cute owl mug. Yeah. I want it. Out of my owl mug. So how are you guys doing on this, um, for us, a kind of chilly, rainy morning in late April? I'm doing great. It's uh, not so rainy where I am, but, uh, you know, I'm happy to be up, happy to be recording. Awesome. What about you, Kristen? I'm doing okay. Tired. Just okay? Yeah. What's going on, bugaboo? Nothing. I feel like I spent all week reading and not writing, so I feel kind of stressed about that, but... Isn't there a, like, a me- like an academic meme that's going, going around that says something like, read six articles to write two sentences, or read 36 articles to write two sentences? Yeah, Isn't that exactly. Reality? Reading is yeah. an integral part of writing, so don't feel bad. It yeah. is, but it kind of makes you feel less productive when you don't have as much to show for yourself. Haven't we talked about True. this, that like the number of words on the page is not a, a measure of worth? Yeah. I know, but I could have said this to you when you were dissertating and you would feel the same way. Oh, no, exactly. but I always wrote a minimum of a thousand words a day. No, I'm just kidding. I don't think okay, I ever exactly. wrote a Little thousand liar. words a day. <laughs> Unsubscribe to Zach. <laughs> We should also take a moment to thank my husband, who is currently making us coffee and playing with the puppy. Thank you, Justin. The sponsor for today's show is Ede Bibliotheque. Intriguing. Sensual. Comforting. Informational. Earthy. Pages. Enjoy the smell. Enjoy Eau de Bibliotheque, a new fragrance from Regents. Available only for a limited time. It must be returned within 60 days. <laughs> that really made me laugh when I read that because I really, I love the smell of new books and libraries. And, and old books. I don't books. think I want it on me all the time. And old books. Just books in general. Yep. Just books. Books and money. I like those <laughs> They don't always go hand in hand, though. <laughs> Usually you have to trade one for the other, but not with Eau de Bibliothèque. <laughs> now you can sniff your money and also smell like an old book. <laughs> though I have to say, I felt like a total adult this week in relation to money because I went and got my hair did and then immediately made a follow-up appointment. For two months from now. I know. And that is totally adult hair. Because I like I'm always like, yeah, I'll make a follow-up appointment later. Six months later I go in my highlights are like grown out half down my head and they're like, Girl, we haven't seen you in a while. I'm like, oh no. How many how long later? Two months. Oh, okay. At first I thought two weeks. I was like, holy shmo. Oh no, no. I'm going back in two months for a touch up and um then after that probably another cut, but 
I feel like an adult, guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, you are a doctor. That I know, but <laughs> I still feel like an adult. Gotcha. I've been in the grad school in my hair for way too long. I'm still grad school in my hair. I'm adjuncting my hair. <laughs> but that was a really, I, I, that was just exciting to me. It may not resonate with anyone else in this room, but Kristen, do you do anything with your hair other than cut? No. Nope. Now you just got those gorgeous locks. Thank you. Easy yeah. breezy, beautiful. I mean, it does take a little bit of effort, but not much. Nah, she wakes up like that. Yeah, I, like, don't have, like, the motivation. Like, every once in a while, I, like, maybe I could get bangs. <laughs> and then I'm, like, you'd have to do stuff with them. So, no. That is so true. <laughs> I actually said that once to a hairdresser, and she was, like, do you really? Yeah. She's, like, Ooh. Rachel, you hair dry your hair every day. Do you really? Yeah, totally. Want to, because you know you'd have to do upkeep, and I was, like, you're right, you're right. No. Abort. Take it back. Yeah, so those of you who don't know, dear listeners, my hair's all long and all the same length, and I don't dye it. I don't really do anything to it. If it, if I'm feeling fancy, I might even blow dry it that day. Oh. Otherwise, it just air dries. Nice. Zach blow dries his hair every day. <laughs> he quaffs My it. hair is dry like 30 seconds out of the shower. I've got a typical dude haircut. Ugh, men. Just kidding. Hey, you're, you're, you could have hair like this, too. I could. I could. Actually, I can't complain. I have really fine hair, and so it dries pretty quickly. But speaking of hair, how do you wear your hair when you go on an interview? Am I oh, right, Oh, great transition. Great transition. I, know. I do nothing okay. because, again, it's very short. <laughs> well, actually, that and, uh, how you wear your hair and clothing is something that women have to consider. Um, and men, of course, are what they wear, but women with hair and makeup and such. And that could be a topic for another episode. But today we're just going to dive into interviewing with basic what do you do when you get an interview? So it could be a phone interview, could be a Skype interview, could be Zoom interview, could be a campus interview, could be an interview at a conference. Um, so just generally interviewing in the academy. So what's your been, ex- uh, been your experiences so far? You too. Well, uh, I've gotten several interviews, both Skype and on campus, uh, but no job. So I feel like the interview is always positive, but the result has not been positive. But, you know, what are you going to do? Isn't that the Academy, though? That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like so many people I know that that's kind of the case. And it's just because when you're when you're brought on campus, it's not about you. It's about fit and like Uh-oh. kind of like what they're looking for in such minute details. So there's almost nothing you can do except for do the best you can. Right. Mm-hmm. So Kristen, what's been your experience with interviewing? And uh, I know that you had like a career before you came back to academia. So yeah. Talk about that too. Um, so I've had one, I've really only applied to one place and got <laughs> one interview. So one for one. Um, I had a phone interview yeah, I had a phone interview, so I haven't done, like, an on-campus or anything like that. So it wasn't Skype, so I don't have, like, experience necessarily doing that, but I've had a phone interview. Awesome. Um, I've had, in the time I was on the job market, both, like, kind of unofficially and then officially, I had some phone interviews, some um, Skype interviews, on-campus interviews, three on-campus interviews, three or four, I can't remember. Um, and then this uh, final interview 
for my um, current position, which was unlike any of the others. Really? Yeah. Um, as it was, it's technically like a staff administrative position, so the interview was very different. Um, but I there we can talk a lot about our interview experiences, but there's also a ton of resources out there for people who are looking to improve their interview skills, to get a little information about what they should be expecting on the job market. Um, and one thing, so as we always start these episodes and researching them, sometimes we, we just start with like a basic Google search. So that's what I did. And I found a lot of university websites who had um, resources for their students when it came mm-hmm. to academic job. Um, so different graduate schools, different universities, career centers at different universities. And they all kind of say some of the same things. Um, there was some contradictions, but mostly the contradictions I found was with dress. And that can be a topic for another episode. Um, but there was some really wonderful stuff. And so if you are at a university as a faculty member or a graduate student or a postdoc who has a career center or a graduate school with great resources, definitely reach out to them, listeners. But we have a couple um, that I found um, that were really, really interesting and really helpful uh, that could kind of kick us off on this topic. And the first one is from one of our favorites, The Professor Is In. The Professor Is In. Kristen got to meet. Yeah, she's very kind. Aww. Yeah. I imagine that she's really lovely. Mm-hmm. She definitely is. So what does the professor in, is in uh, tell us that we should be thinking about for an interview? Um, well, there were some things that I know I've been told to consider before, and it was nice to see them on here. Um, the idea of having a lot prepared. So uh, essentially, like, she says things like, how would you teach our intro class? Make sure you're prepared to say what you would do. Mm-hmm. You know, be primed and ready. Um, what would you do for a methods course? Um, how could you teach a core theory course? Uh, be prepared. Um, well, I can, I can tell you I've taught all of the courses she thinks that uh, interviews will ask about. So that's easy for me. But not everybody has, like, the breadth of teaching. So, like, thinking about how you would teach all of the core required classes for that department is yeah. a really good uh, means of, pre- of preparing for that interview. Because when you're starting a faculty member, you have to teach all of the core requirements, especially the intro. Yeah, absolutely. And they're not going to be asking you to create and recite an entire syllabus, but you need to have a clear, concise answer for these questions. Um, and the two... Oh, that's the coffee maker. Mm-hmm. Um, and the two of the things that are uh, that I found really, really interesting on here um, were you came from X kind of school. How do you do, adapt to this campus? Um, that one I found really, really interesting. We can talk about that. And also the part on do you have any questions for us? Because I think those are the two things that are often not talked about when we talk about preparing for a campus interview um, or even a phone interview. We're often taught to do research on the department, um, to talk about the courses we could teach, how we'd fit into that. But, you know, coming from a school like an R1 large research institution and going to a small liberal arts college in a a tiny town in um, Iowa, you know, how would you transition and how would you talk about that? 
Have you ever been asked that, Zach? Uh, yeah. So I've I've done a couple of my interviews were in small towns, uh, but I just happen to love small towns, and so I would say that I you know, uh, the place where I did my PhD is in a small-ish town, um, and I actually like small-town living more than I like uh, big-city living, so uh, that was a fairly easy question to answer. The one that I found more challenging uh, to sort of say something original about was more the type of school than the setting of the school, you know? So, like, mm. ever, most people get their PhDs at, like, a large institution, and then end up interviewing for a much smaller school, at least uh, right out the gate. So, like, how do you how do you uh, see yourself fitting into a small liberal arts college or an R three or or whatever? That one's a little like. Obviously, I love the uh, small liberal arts colleges because you get a lot more one on one time with students. But everybody says that, so you got to come up with something a little bit more personal. Yeah, I've been asked this question um, too, and. Really, for me, it's I, I never really envisioned myself going R1, so it's kind of an easy answer of the um, kind of uh, student interaction I'm looking for, the kind of department setting, um, the kind of institution that focuses on teaching, you know. So I'm able to say, like, this is kind of where the kind of environment in which I got my undergraduate, um, not my graduate work, but, you know, I, I appreciate this environment. This is why. This is why I think it's great for the students. This is why I think me coming into this environment would be great for the community, et cetera. Um, did they ask you this on your interview? Um, I think it's okay to say. So I interviewed for my alma mater, so where I did my um, bachelor's and my master's. So... I'm very familiar with the campus and, mm. like, the type of students. Um, so I didn't necessarily feel like I had to convince them of that because mm-hmm. I already have gone there. But it is something to think about, especially um, in translating if you're at an R1 and you are teaching an introduction to whatever class. And there's, I mean, some of these classes, especially in the hard sciences, these are humongous humongous classes humongous humongous and so you know if you've got a few hundred students and you're going to a smaller college and you're going to translate that to you know maybe a class of 50 that is a a much different way of planning your course and thinking about it so that's I think that's one way that you could answer this question is you could look at average enrollments and average class size and maybe how you would make some of those translations and why those could be really exciting for you there's just things that you can do differently so you know you can always say like yes I was trained at an R1 but you know there's these activities that I could do differently in an intro class that it's just simply not possible there because there's Mm -hmm. just so many people and I could engage with the students here in this sort of way and that might be a different way of answering that question than yeah I dig small towns and I see myself living here. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. All right. I'm taking that. Like I'm that taking that to heart on my next interview, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing I said that uh, struck me about this article and something that I've definitely considered, um, have talked to other people about, is the question, do you have any questions for us? Because now that I've been on the other side of uh, interviewing several times, um, it's definitely something that if they don't have any questions for me, I know they didn't do their homework. Yeah, I'm realizing this uh, per my last interview. Half the people I met with uh, basically didn't have any questions for me, and so I they were like, "Do you have any que- Do you have any questions for us?" Uh, I was like, "Oh, 
Uh, well, I fully expected to be answering questions, but I can I can pull some out, you know, pull some out of the air. And this time around, I I am preparing. Uh, I have an interview in a couple of days. I'm preparing uh, questions for every person that I'm planning to meet. Um, but in, in retrospect, the fact that they didn't have questions for me probably wasn't a good sign. Uh, but you should have questions prepared for the people you're meeting with regardless. You know, don't necessarily go and read all of the things that they've published and want to talk about that, but know something about what area they're in, uh, know something about the role that they play on campus so that you can ask them uh, something specific. So in previous interviews, have you, have you asked, so there's a difference, like when you're meeting different faculty, have you asked faculty the same sorts of questions sometimes or are you asking them you know everyone a different question it's definitely sometimes the same sorts of questions is what i've done okay. because everyone have different perspectives and they're going to be expecting that but those are more the general questions mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah um, i have so when oh, i go doing sorry. sorry go ahead oh, i have i have one that i sort of pull out uh if if nothing else if i can't think of anything else i have one that i just pull out every time and it's what do you think is the biggest challenge for the person that will fill this role yeah, it's always it's always, you know, appropriate in depth uh, and something that anybody you meet can answer because they all have an opinion about what this job is. Hmm. Feel free to steal that. I've, yeah, well, I've um, so I have a list of questions. I would usually prepare about five for a <laughs> phone or Skype interview and then 10 to 15 for an on campus interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Usually in that phone interview, I'll ask about like a, an initiative or a program or I'll ask about the students or I'll ask something about the position, of course, um, in the department just to get them knowing that I've been thinking about it and because I have been, right? Um, and then during – I've also been in that situation. Zach, I had a particularly horrible in, uh, on-campus interview that I left going, there's no way in heck I'm taking this job. Mm. Um where I pretty much sat in a room with someone as they complained at me about the department that I would be entering. Oh, jeez. And then said, do you have any questions for me? And wow. I blanked. I didn't remember any of the questions that I had prepared. And then I, I, and so, but uh, on that interview, I had been at, I don't know why I blanked, because I've been asking all of the faculty the same general questions, like, um, tell me about the students, um, what uh kind of what are their interests um there's two different tracks here like how do the students select into those tracks those kinds of things mm-hmm. um oh yeah that was a, that was a really horrible interview um was but, everybody else saying positive things and that was the only person who yeah. really uh-huh. So how did you sort of, in your mind, manage that? Was this just sort of maybe somebody who's been there for a while and just disgruntled? Or do you think everyone was kind of... I mean, because you're interviewing mm-hmm. them as much as they're interviewing you. I would have maybe thought it was that unless... Uh, but there were several other things during the interview that were really mm-hmm. weird. Um, they asked me about my engagement ring and when I was getting married. Ooh, that's not appropriate. Whether or not we were going to have a family during lunch. Um Door, after, right after my teaching demonstration, the chair of the search committee came up and touched my pants. What? Whoa. To feel the fabric of them. And without permission? Without permission. And then she apologized after. It was very weird. Like, what That's a she series of no no's right there. Pants and it's like... Oh, it was, a, it was a massive series of no no's. Um, it was very uncomfortable. 
Like, what was I the could, point of touching your pants? She wanted to see the fabric because they looked comfortable. Ooh, comfortables might be a code word for, like, too cash. I mean, they were trousers. They were dress pants. No, I know, but yeah, I'm so saying, like, is that, saying. like, the point? Like, is this, like, a weird... I don't know. Rachel, you are a professional woman. My... You're not allowed to wear comfortable things. No, I mean, <laughs> they, yeah, they were, they were trousers. Mm. I mean, they weren't, they actually weren't that comfortable. Right. I mean, I was wearing dress pants and a suit jacket. Um, but anyway, it was so, I could not wait to leave. And I'm pretty sure I called Justin on the way home and complained and then stopped in a town on the way back from that town and had a beer and a giant burger. <laughs> As <laughs> is like, I need to wipe. I need to wipe that town off of me. There were some other issues too. Like um, they made a point of driving me by this particularly um, interesting. We'll say that landmark in the town. I won't. I won't uh, digress. Like a Confederate anymore. statue or something. It was something similar. Holy smokes. Yeah, it was. It was odd. It was <laughs> oh, odd. No. Can I can I share a bad interview story too? Sure. Um, and I'll try to keep it vague because who knows who's listening. But uh, I interviewed for a community college in a rather large town. And before I got I even got there, I did a bunch of research. And most of the people teaching there, there's like this pipeline from the local R1 state school into working at that community college. And so I thought, oh, maybe, uh, you know, they're looking to diversify their faculty a bit. And I realized, you know, about five minutes into the interview that I was you know, they had to bring someone from the outside to make it look impartial, mm-hmm. but they were not in any way seriously considering me. So I flew mm-hmm. out to this big town, stayed in a hotel, did all this prep work. And about five minutes in, I'm getting these like very neutral but friendly stares uh, from everyone. They're like, you know, just kind of trying not to look bored uh, because they have to go through the motions. And I could just sense it right away that, you know, what was the mm-hmm. point of, of even being on this interview, but knowing that I would have future interviews, I still gave it my best because, you know, you practice how you play. So I tried to use it Absolutely. as good practice. Oh mm. yeah. And everyone is practice. Even that, that bad one I had, which has been the only really bad one. Um, even that was practice. Yeah. Well, I don't have any like horror stories, but I will tell you from a person who's interviewed a lot of people, your interview starts, I think people don't consider this, but your interview starts the second you make any contact with someone from the university. I mean, whether it's the second you email your application and we talked about this in the materials episode, but any sort of contact you have with someone like assume that people are watching. Um, I worked in a building, we interviewed someone and the whole front of the building's glass, but like not the kind that you, like you can see out, but you can't see in. It's like that shiny sort of glass and all of our desks were there and we knew we had an interviewee coming in. And so we watched this guy like pull into the parking lot and get out and his car was (laughs) such a wreck. Like he like opened the door, all this junk fell out. And then we watched him like lint roll his suit in the parking lot. And then he like got on his phone and like talked to somebody for a little bit. And then came in and then was very rude to the um, receptionist. So before he even got back to the room, the receptionist had already told us her thoughts about him and was Mm -hmm. like, absolutely not. Mm. Um, You know, and we take those sort of things very Mm -hmm. serious, how you treat, you know, staff and everyone kind of along the way. And so you just never know. 
I mean, I assume that you're completely like we, a lot of times people don't immediately leave. I can't even stress that enough. If you, you know, are driving in or something like immediately like leave after the interview. So there's like so many times where like people would like get in their car and like, you'd want to be like, whew, and take off like your suit jacket and like get comfy or like call someone. It's like, assume that all of that can be seen because <laughs> a lot of time it, it was by by people so like somebody would go out for a smoke break and like see a person we just interviewed like talking to someone in their car and not that it's necessarily something that would have gotten people completely like not considered for jobs but just assume if anything that you're giving them to judge you on they are judging you on they're making mm-hmm. they're making sort of assessments We're human beings. Yeah, so you know, so just, you know, be nice to every single person you meet and very courteous and remember people's names, especially we were very um, keen on how you treated support staff where I was at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so when that, seriously, like when the receptionist was like, absolutely not, um, it was it was definitely going to be a no for us. Oh, yeah. Okay, so that's a great story to transition us into the second article that Rachel found, which is uh, by uh, Rebecca Schumann, uh, who's been on the podcast before. I uh, uh, hope she's listening. I, I know we're fans of her. hope she's fans of us. But she talks about in a recent article in the Chronicle of Higher Education how the job in the academic job interview, uh, while we can do all of this stuff to prepare and we should, in the end, a lot of what it boils down to is whether that person actually, whether that uh, committee actually just wants to work with you. Uh, by the time you mm-hmm. get that on-campus visit, it's really more about goodness of fit. And there's this quote from this article, and we'll share the article on the blog, but uh, she says that an interview isn't an exam. Either these folks are going to like me or they're not. While you can over-prepare, and you probably should over-prepare, in the end, uh, showing that you're prepared is less important than showing uh, that you're someone who would be f- good to work with. Yeah, because if they don't want to work with you for many years to come, especially if it's a tenure track position, um, like that's not going to be good in your favor if you're not showing. Kind of, you also have to show who you are. Um, I think that's really important. And, and people can, um, people know the difference between authenticity and and uh, kind of a, a fake persona you're putting on. And yes, yeah. it's good to be kind and considerate and um, kind of extra, maybe extra attentive. You are trying to like show your very best self during these sessions for interviews, but you also kind of have to be, be who you are because that's who they're going to be working with. It's also helpful, I think, to know what your bad habits are, mm. especially when you're nervous. So the way that you, um, that way you know what to overcome or things that you need to take into consideration. So yeah, I twiddle with my beard I, when I'm nervous. I gotta be more conscious about that because people don't want to shake your silly. hand after that. It's not only that, it's like also how your like personality presents. So like I know people who when they're nervous almost come off as like overly arrogant. I know women a lot of times when they're nervous 
come off as like very self-deprecating or very meek when maybe they're bold. Um, and I think having conversations with friends and things like that who can kind of criticize you or tell you about some of your bad habits in a way that is helpful and that you'll listen to is very important. So I know that I sound sarcastic all the time. (laughs) It's like how my voice is. I have a very dry sense of humor and I'm come off as sarcastic. And sometimes I am sarcastic. Some, a lot of people find that very annoying. And so I think for me, especially when I'm in, um, you know, I don't feel like I'm an extrovert. I do kind of, I, I tend to be much more quieter when I'm nervous and, um, you know, not watching maybe how my facial, (laughs) like what my face is doing. And so I just know that in an interview, I need to like, because I already sound like I'm sarcastic, I need to make sure that I am telling them how excited and how enthusiastic I am about a job because it's not coming off of me naturally. And so Mm. in a way that almost feels inauthentic to me, Mm -hmm. um, but it is authentically how I feel. I just need to make sure that that is translated in the same way. So while I like her article, I do kind of feel like, yeah, it isn't, you know, definitely be authentically you, but also know how you translate and whether or not that is saying the right message mm-hmm. or you're putting the right message out there. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people try to win interviews especially in academics, based on their personalities. And I do not think that that is the way to go. (laughs) You really need to focus on your research and really fit as opposed to, I'm like this, you know, cool gal who you'll want to hang out with for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that, you know, just making sure that you know how you come off to people is important. I feel like you should have a career training or interview yes. training course. With yeah, for sure. Well, that's interesting because this the next article um, is so this was strategies for a successful interview. This was inside higher ed. The first tip was to hide your nervousness. That's hard and to do. That's really hard to do yeah. if you're saying like you know people have their habits. So do you know what your nervous habit is? I play with my hair. Yeah, I play with my beard. I think I said that. So I was told if you do have to do something like that, you should um, rub your fingers together underneath the table. It's enough of a like, like, you know, when somebody's being like, oh, the smallest violin in the world, (laughs) like do that like motion underneath the table. (laughs) Oh, Oh, wow. So it's something that you can like do that really can't be seen. And so you resist it like it's one of those things where like the reason why counting sheep is helpful at night is because it's like giving your brain enough of a thing to do. So mm. enough of, of a distraction. So that's always what we would tell people is if they had something release to that, that nervous energy. Yeah. When you would count sheep, do you count sheep like in a field or like jumping over something? Because I always imagine them in my head like they're jumping over. A yeah, totally. What else are they doing? I don't know. Are you just like <laughs> one, two, three, four, five? Look at this field of sheep. Let me count all of them. One time I imagined them bouncing on a little mattress and then I kept laughing. <laughs> and then it was like, this is like not helpful. <laughs> Why are always like, meh? <laughs> like fence. Sorry. Yeah. So one thing I do... Um, 
I like speak my nervousness out loud. So I know right before the phone interview, I like was already about ready to talk to them. And I just simply said, I am nervous. And I wrote down, I am nervous at the top of my piece of paper. Obviously, they can't see that. I don't recommend that in person. It just felt good to like say it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is this is okay. This is the saddest of things. I think most people realize you're you're nervous, though. But yeah, they've all gone through the process. They know that it's not the easiest. Well, one of the thi- well, so what I do to get my nervous energy out, I like jog in place or do some push ups. Just try to like get as much energy out as I can, so I'm too winded to mm-hmm. feel uh, to feel nervous. Um, mm. But the other thing that I've found helpful for me in preparing for Skype interviews is actually doing. Skype lectures in my friends' classes uh, because you're presenting to a similarly like an audience that you can't quite tell what they're thinking. And so it kind of gets you over that hump of like, what are they thinking? What are, how are they reacting? I can't tell what's going on. And that's, you can also be prepared for the fact that they might be able to see you, but you can't see them, which is terrifying. Mm-hmm. But once you've done it for a class of 30, it's the the threshold is lower for for a audience of five. Two quick tips. Two quick tips. One is if it's a Skype interview, you know how you can like the picture of you. <laughs> I like laugh about this all the time because I don't know how often you're like in a Skype situation and you like almost get super fixated on yourself. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, it's very if you easy can to either, do. If you can either like change where the the window is Mm -hmm. so it's underneath the camera at the top Mm. that's sometimes helpful so that it looks like you're looking at them so often when you're on an interview instead of looking into the camera you're like looking at your screen so sometimes moving where those boxes are is helpful so it makes it look like you're like Rachel looks like you look like you're looking at us right now that's because I just moved my my yourself right (laughs) under the I didn't even know you could do that Look how yeah. atten- guys, look how attentive I look. Yeah, see how diff- that the difference that is? And wow. so you're looking at the screen instead of down, so that's a tip. The other thing that people do constantly in interviews, this is more in person, is people constantly fiddle-faddle with their damn chair. Oh, why so would they, you do that? So they, like, go from side to side. If it's a rolling one, they go backwards. They're nervous. They kind of, like, hold still is my... Like, if you get an option between, like, a wooden hard can't do anything chair sit in that one because people just like you know you're nervous and you you all become toddlers yeah yeah really and like it's like there's been interviews where it's like dude like hold still you just that is one way that your nervousness is on display the violin under the desk play the violin underneath the desk and put your picture underneath their picture here you go zach i'm putting my picture underneath you look like you're making eye contact and i'm playing a violin under the desk do i look really attentive you do. Yes. Actually. Nice. <laughs> Check that out. Well, when I ever go back on the job market, and I got some tips. Mm-hmm. But one of the tips in this article that I really, really liked, well, there's uh, there's two more that I really liked from this article. And they, they also do talk about having your questions prepared. I want to say that. But um, this one was know when and how to end your answers. Mm. And this one I actually I feel like I'm very good at um, because I've practiced because my very first interview was a phone interview and I remember having someone tell me that like have a good clear strong answer so no matter where I go I always have like a like a recap period yeah making sure that you know that they know that you are done talking so no one's talking over each other and that can be incredibly hard to do on phone and Skype it's not as hard in person but it still is 
but uh, making sure that you have a clear ending to what you are saying. So you don't want to be unfocused. You don't want to trail it off. You want to be like, you know, and, and stuff like that. You know, and you want to end it on the, and this is why I'm awesome. Period. It's hard because often they have such poker faces. And when you're talking to people, you know, you like, they are almost always affirming what you're saying. Mm -hmm. So when you're in conversations with normal people, I say, the sun is shining and people are like, yes, right? In an interview, they're not doing that. (laughs) Yes, it is. um, Yes. Good good observation, observation. young scientist. Um, So you should definitely avoid... Oh, I'm sorry. I went off on a tangent or, um, you know, I hope I answered your question or um, I'm a little unfocused. Like saying stuff like that is ways for them to give you affirmations with. It's just not a good thing. So just Mm -hmm. final answer. Um, I know the one thing I make sure I do during Zoom and Skype interviews is after I end a a question, I smile. Mm hmm. So they know I'm done talking. Right. And I've also crafted my answers that they are a period. Yes. And then I stop. I stop. This so is why that you is should... a visual signal that I am done and yeah. that they should answer or respond or ask the next question. This is why having that pen and paper that you've brought in that serves almost no purpose <laughs> with you <laughs> during an interview is helpful. So on a long question... This is a way that you can buy time and also keep yourself on track as if you write out the question or like, let's say they ask a multi-part question. You can ask them to repeat it. Make sure that you like are writing question one, question two, question three, and then physically saying, I'm going to answer the first part of your question first. Answer that. Boom. Now I'm going to move on to the second part of your question where you ask blah, blah, blah. Answer that. Boom. And finally, I'm going to move on to the third part. Boom. And so that I think, especially on a long question, we tend to do, I mean, undergrads do this too. I always tell my undergrads, don't do this. Um, They do this like shotgun approach where you like say everything you've ever thought about something or everything they ever know and just hope that the answer is in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so really you need to be as concise as humanly possible. This is like much easier said than done. But I think writing these things out will keep you from rambling and keeps you focused. Mm Mm-hmm. I do that. And it does buy it you helps. a tiny bit of time to think. That's that's interesting that I don't think bring a pen a pen and paper and, you know, take notes is not in any of the articles that we read, but don't necessarily no, take a ton of notes, but have it so you can, especially yeah. in situations like Kristen described. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I have my bifolio that I, yeah. I take that and my, the one side has copies of all my materials plus additional documents. And uh, a notepad with just a pencil Same. or pen. Um, just making sure that you are, have that. They're expecting, especially when you go for it on campus, and if it's, if there's a union or a mm-hmm. faculty council that you're meeting with, someone who, or maybe a P&T committee you're meeting with, so they can talk to you through like what that process looks like at that institution, they're going to be expecting you to take notes on that. But um, it's okay to take notes when you're talking to people because they know that you're listening. And then, I mean, don't be looking down at your paper like seminar style. But, you know, the the smile and nod while taking a note. Mm -hmm. I think that's especially important if someone offers you suggestions about stuff. So often we have a hard time taking criticism. And so sometimes like when somebody's like, you know, I read your article about such and such, and I'm curious why you didn't an- you didn't use such and such as work. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I would be honest at that point, if you've never heard of this person, say, oh, can you tell me a little bit more about that? I Maybe I'm not as familiar with that work as I should be or whatever. But I think writing down and getting like the exact spelling of something, anytime anybody's offering you help, mm-hmm. I think I've said this before in the networking interview, anytime anybody's offering you a gem of help, you should take it seriously. Even if you have no intention of ever using it, but like making sure I've seen interviews where you can tell the person is a little miffed when like a suggestion has come up that mm. they just like don't really engage with it. They're like, okay, thanks. <laughs> but I think writing it down is helpful too. Yeah. I think you also bring up a good point that part of what uh, a lot of interviewing is, these are going to be future colleagues. They may want you to look at their papers or they might think you want to look at them to look at your papers. So the fact that you're willing to take suggestions or make suggestions and sort of share in that academic exchange, uh, I think that people will be looking for that as well. Like show enough interest in their research and their perspective that they would be okay coming to you with, with, you know, questions or, or, you know, want to work on projects or something. They're looking for a colleague who will do that for them. And you want to know how someone's going to take like critique. Yeah. Criticism. Mm -hmm. Are they going to get immediately defensive? Are they going to, you know, take it to heart and really think of how they can use it to make themselves better? Or are they just going to be annoyed with you? Those sort of things. Oh, there's one tip that I was once told by someone that this I'll I'll never forget is go to the bathroom every time you can, because they may forget. Mm. They also may forget to feed you on an Mm. on-campus interview. So if someone says, do you need to use the restroom? Say yes. And I mean, don't make it excessive. Don't go like every half an hour, but um, unless you have to. No judgment. But um, if you have that opportunity just to take five minutes to yourself to stand in a stall and like take off your jacket, take a breather, take a sip of water from your bag, like check, check, check your text messages. Usually my husband saying something really, really (laughs) nice. And then I put my phone back on airplane mode, you know, um, uh, just so phone on airplane yeah. mode's a good tip. Yes. Cause you don't want your phone distracting at all. And I always, uh, disconnect it from my Fitbit so that my Fitbit is not too. going off throughout the day. Uh, and finally, uh, this article that was in the guardian, um, there was a couple of good things in there, you know, talk to others about their interview experiences, which is something I highly recommend, um, to talk to what worked for you, what didn't hearing horror stories from people, um, I mean, just knowing what other people have gone through, I think, is a really uh, great way to just kind of prepare yourself. And you know you're not alone. It's a really daunting process. It's very stressful. Um, They say do as much research as you can. Um, Identify questions. Practice orally. Uh, That one's a huge one. I know Kristen is a big Mm -hmm. supporter of that making sure that you're practicing mm-hmm. your answers and, and knowing uh, where you may flub up on words and stuff like that. Um, I mean, these four articles definitely provided a lot of information, a lot of advice. They're by all, um, they're not by any means like the, the only advice that's out there. So I encourage you to talk to people, to read other additional articles. Um, 
I know it's something I really liked from the professor's in article. Uh, she says, tell us about your second project. So yes, you should be able to concisely talk about your dissertation and the research you did as a graduate student, but, or the research you did as an early career faculty member. Um, but you should also be able to talk about what's next. And because you, they want to, you, they want to see someone who is tenurable. Right. Right. Um, and so there was a lot of lovely things in these articles. Uh, so what else do you guys have to say for our li- listeners? What other tips would you have or things that you've learned or things that you've tried that didn't work? I have two tips. Sure. First tip, get your clothes tailored. Word. So if you can, af- I know it's, you know, if you've never had anything tailored before, um, just bite the bullet, pay the extra $10 or whatever, get your clothes tailored. It'll make you look much better. It will not feel as frumpy to you. It'll feel much better to you when you are actually in the interview, which will make you more confident. The second thing someone talked to me about, a lot of people I've seen, and I think both of you guys were in this camp where they like made like a Google Doc to kind of organize like when due dates were and who's writing letter recommendations and things like that. A whole section of that should be when you are initially looking at the job and like trying to prepare your actual job market material materials to send out is to jot notes about the place and you know why you thought you'd be a good connection uh what sort of classes they're looking for you to teach and how you might teach those so that you're already sort of putting yourself in the mindset for an interview and already making those connections and so when you do get the phone interview or something, you already have some notes or some things to kind of jot down because you've already gotten in the habit of looking over, you know, their web pages and their average class size. So at least it's like a refresher um, for you. So that way it helps inform your job market materials, but also would help you with an interview. Those are my two tips. Those are great. So I just have one tip. And we talked a lot in this episode about being overprepared, and there's no such thing as being too overprepared for this. My tip is be willing to throw it out the window. Uh, uh, just because you have something prepared doesn't mean you need to talk about it. Does just because you've prepared something doesn't mean you should talk about it. Uh, it's you know it's a similar tip to writing: is write more than you're going to use, and be willing to cut and edit uh, as necessary, because. You know, just because you've looked up where the provost was before their appointment at this school or, you know, so-and-so's research from back in the 90s, you know, you don't have to talk about every single topic that you've come across in in your prepare in preparing for the interview. That's a good one. Um, I know that that uh, you don't want to, like, force something in that is completely yeah. irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, there are always opportunities during an on-campus interview to have more informal conversations uh where you could then bring up those things but i think it's good just be to be as prepared as you can um my tips so um, one they're both practical and i both got them from other people so during a phone interview this doesn't work as well for skype but it can um if you it can be really overwhelming to cram a bunch of stuff about an institution and what you want to say and so i once heard from someone to um if it's a phone interview to have sheets of paper around you with your notes on it Mm -hmm. so that you can reference them without shuffling Um, and a Skype interview to actually paste notes on the wall behind your computer. And I've done both. That's a good one. And um, both have gone very well. I mean, I, I do 
I know that I do pr- really well on a phone interview um, or generally. I mean, not all the time. I've had definitely dealt, had my bad ones. Um, but um, I, uh, it's, it, that has been really helpful. You know, I have practiced with people. I have done these interviews, and that has been very helpful is to be able to, to reference those notes in a way that is not at all clunky for me and, and also not for the people I'm talking to. Because if my notes are right here, it's only I switch from that to that. So, you know, so if they're mm-hmm. right above the computer, um, then I can see them. Can you describe that for people who are audio only, which is everyone? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, because I, I just <laughs> described it for you guys. So if my com- I, my desk is up against the wall, so if my computer is sitting on the desk, I try to make sure that I paste or um, tape papers around the kind of the rim of the screen. So you're not like looking up at so the I'm ceiling. So I'm not like looking up at the ceiling <laughs> and it's only just a minor eye shift between the screen and um, the papers. Mm-hmm. I also have my notepad next to me. If there's anything really, really relevant because they are expecting you to take notes of some kind, they're not, they're not going to think that that's weird. Um, I have really relevant things right there so I can go and glance. Yeah. Because you know, they're expecting that glance. Yeah. And my second tip was given by uh, a friend and colleague, um, the to the for the campus interview if you're doing a teaching demo and the tip that he gave was to if if it's a teaching centered institution where they're really going to be focusing on student teacher interaction um to have bring paste uh like one of those sticky name tags and some markers and have people write their first name or preferred name and stick it and i did the same Using names was really effective um, for me, and I, I, I did get very good feedback on that, and that's something that he's gotten good feedback on, um, and I think helped him land yeah, his current position. Yeah, I would have never position. thought that. I like that idea. And especially in, I mean, not, not work for every discipline, but mm-hmm. in my discipline, we generally work really, really close with our students, and so in that, uh, having that good rapport with our students um, is important, mm-hmm. you know, cause we're not just working with them in the classroom. We're working with them as artists outside of the classroom for hours and hours and hours a semester. Our, uh, episode today is brought to you by room temperature coffee. It always starts with the best intentions. Imagine a comfortable office chair, a sturdy desk, you sitting down to your MacBook Pro to grade those final exams with a hot, steamy cup of coffee. It's an academic dream. Too often, however, those dreams are dashed when you realize you've been working so diligently that your coffee has gone cold. Don't let this happen to you. Enjoy your caffeine before you grade or just get a better mug. I like it. I don't care. I'll drink it anyway. Yeah, oh, same. Man, no. Room temperature no. is fine as long as it doesn't have milk in it. I'm out in the field. I'm in the academic trenches. I'm drinking that <laughs> coffee. <laughs> okay, I'm really, really picky about my coffee, but apparently neither of you are. So listeners, if you're also picky about your coffee, I feel you. I am that way about tea, though. Mm. Oh, tea. Really? I'm not that way about tea. Oh, interesting. Opposites attract. <laughs> <laughs> you should go to our social media. Our social media? How about our social media? Oh, that too. Social media yeah. is just social media, but with tobacco. 
<laughs> Make sure you check us out on. We've got a Facebook. We've got a Twitter at Surviving PhD. We've got an Instagram at Surviving Academia. We are all over you this sound like social cars. media. We got Kias. We got Sorrentas. We, we got, got Toyotas. Come on down to the Surviving Academia <laughs> Facebook. You will not be disappointed. She Thursday, looks like the Thursday, flailing Thursday. arm too Thursday, <laughs> Thursday. Look at me. I'm one of those things. <laughs> There's a lot of wiggling. Okay. A lot and of now, wiggling, a lot of giggling over here. Now friends. back to our episode. <laughs> Visit us at Facebook, Twitter. Facebook us, Twitter us, Email Instagram us. us. We actually do read what you guys send us. We do. Yeah, we really yeah. like it. Make sure you smash that like button. Smash, smash, smash. <laughs> like, like, like. You're so weird. Oh, well, you know what? If this uh, academia thing fails for all of us, at least we'd have careers as used car salespeople. <laughs> so what have you guys done for self-care over the last... Uh, couple weeks I, kn- I know that we did a mini-sode because we were all very freaking overwhelmed out. and freaking out and it's the end of the semester and blah 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 um but how are you guys feeling what have you been doing I think I texted you guys the next day because we were still so freaking out and I know since I've listened to our mini-sode Zach kept my singing <laughs> and, <laughs> and um people have already talked to me about that um I think I texted you guys the next day that I was just going to do something small and just to be nice and remind myself that even a small baby step is still a move forward. And so I have been, you know, just being able to plan and scheduling some time for myself. And of course, I'm watching Game of Thrones. So (laughs) Rachel and I are both Game of Thrones fans. So keeping that like sort of and I do that with friends. So like I kind of always know I have this like built in self-care until it's over. Although I have a feeling this next episode is going to make the Red Wedding look like a rehearsal dinner. And I'm scared about that. Oh, shoot. She went there. Oh my god! That's well, what I've been doing. There was um, a, a funny thing going around this week um, from shit academics say that I know we shared on our Facebook. It was a tweet that said, "Academia is pretty much all of us saying it's that time of the semester to each other over and over again until we die." So true. <laughs> and I I felt that one hard with how things have been going for us lately and for our. Friends, colleagues, peers, all over the ac- academic trenches, as Kristen said. But I've been, um, I did a lot of gardening. It looks great. Nice, nice. I'm very proud of it. We've got the front flower bed all done. We've got some nice native plants in there as well. We've got some things that will attract some local pollinators. Way to, you know, support Save our local bees. ecosystem. Save the bees. Zach, what, what have you been doing, mister? Well, uh, so when I'm thinking of self-care for today, I'm actually thinking forward because I, I knew we were going to do this episode. And it's it's uh, kind of an anxiety-inducing episode because I do have an on-campus interview coming up. So I think what I'm going to be doing looking forward, I'm probably just going to spend the day listening to Lizzo's Juice on repeat to get nice. myself psyched up. Uh, she had an Lizzo op-ed so published recently. It's just, you know what to do beyond self-care in a society that tells you you need to have money for self-care and you need to have an image for self-care is really great. Uh, maybe I'll share that with you guys so you can put it on the, on the website, but 
yeah, just going to revel in her awesomeness to try and like boost myself up for for this uh, coming interview. Awesome. I love her so much. I've been listening to her for so long. I just love it so much. I have to say, you introduced me to Lizzo, and it was one of the best things you've done for our friendship, Kristen. (laughs) But yeah, so we're surviving. I feel like I'm surviving a little bit better this week than last week. Yeah, ditto. Kristen? Yeah. Less, um, I think there was so much going on up into that conference that it just felt Mm -hmm. like I needed, that was like, felt like a really big hurdle, and now that that's over, I'm feeling okay. Well, listeners, get your Tams ready. It's that time of the year. And, uh, you know, keep doing the, keep doing your academic thing. Just turn it in. Just turn it in. Turn it in. Turn it in. It's that time of year. That time of the year. (laughs) Wear your Tams with pride. I wish I could wear my Tam all the time. Wear it. Anyway, um, we're going to wear our Tams now. And uh, we're also going to go and drink beer with puppies. Um, And until next time. Keep on, Keep on surviving. Keep on, Keep surviving. on surviving. surviving. Yeah. Keep on. Keep it on. So by the time you've made it on campus, be confident in yourself. You've already got something that they really, really want and they really, really desire. So you've made it. Think confidently in yourself because you've made it. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't be a dick. <laughs> but well, that's just general life dick. advice. And you know, yeah. you know what else, Rachel? Don't shit your pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> don't shit your pants. <laughs> you guys are so weird. <laughs> but yeah, Justin's uh, text messages usually are. Something that we can't say on the thing, but you, you'll cut that part, Zach. Maybe. Because he usually goes, you're Rachel motherfucking power. You can do anything. <laughs> you know? And sometimes he'll text me lists of all the awards I've won and stuff like that. It's really cute. And I go, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs>